0: But your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. Abram didn't make himself a father of a multitude of nations. Abraham didn't make himself the father of Israel and all those who would believe with saving faith. God did that. Hello, you're listening to the podcast that they might know, and I'm your host, Joe Durso. Just a moment, you're going to be listening to a message that I preach from Romans chapter two and three, where Paul explains the difference between authentic, an authentic Jew, an authentic Christian, and being fake, deceived, self-deceived, involved with empty religion. He makes this very clear in chapters 2, and and he he goes on, and he makes it clear that all men are sinners, and we're very capable of being less than authentic. So I hope you'll hear this message well. I hope that you will uh, be blessed by it, and when you are, I hope that you share it with others. I hope you take the information, make it your own, and become a disciple if you're not already, and if you are that you will go into all the world and make disciples of everyone that you meet. I ask these things for your good. Thank you. Now, the message. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would grant direction of mind and thought as I commit these lessons to you. Lord, you said if we would commit our works to you, our thoughts would be established. Lord, I ask that my thoughts would be established and the hearts of all the hearers would be open in, this, in the hearing of this lesson. Ears and heart together. Lord, bless the hearing of your word and the explanation of it. The explanation of it in Jesus' name, for his honor and glory. Amen. We're looking at uh, Romans, the circumcision of the heart Fourth lesson in the series, uh, in this series, a Revela- Roman Revelation, we will be looking at chapter 2, beginning, verses 25 to 29, and proceeding. For indeed, circumcision is of value if you practice the law. But if you are a violator of the law, your circumcision has turned into uncircumcision. So if the uncircumcised man keeps the requirements of the law, will his uncircumcision not be regarded as circumcision? And he who is physically uncircumcised, if he keeps the law, will he not judge you who, though having the letter of the law and circumcision, are a violator of the law? For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. And his praise is not from God, is not from people, but from God. Now, Paul is making arguments, and of course, like the rest of the scripture, it can become very confusing, particularly to those who are just getting to read it, just starting to read it, and even those who have read it for a long time, you know, you read it and you read it and it's written in such a way that you have to give thought to it. You have to contemplate how many times, how many Bible studies over decades. I've been told by people, you know, you get too deep. Well, the question is, do you want to understand what's being said? You're telling me I'm getting too deep and then it's like, you know, what is this talking about? What's the point of reading something if you're not going to understand it? And with God's word, he makes it clear, but he's God. And he does it this way for a reason, because he says, you know, when you search for me with all your heart, you'll find me. So, you know, you just don't treat God in a cavalier manner. It's like, yeah, well, I'll take God if I leave it or take him or leave him if I want. Yeah, that's not the way to approach almighty God, the one who's given you life. Let's start here. Because this is where Paul's going in this chapter. He's going to a place where he's going to recognize that people are not what they make themselves out to be, even in their own mind. We're just not as good as we think we are. We want ourselves to think we are. In verse 25, he, sees what he, he begins with this, this statement, for indeed circumcision is of value if you practice the law. He finishes it by saying, but if you are a violator of the law, your circumcision has turned into uncircumcision. But he begins with, for indeed circumcision is of value if you practice the law. In the mind of God, circumcision is not simply the removal of skin to separate Jew from Gentile in past days. Circumcision is the transformation of the heart that separates Jew from Gentile. Or believer from non believer, or a Christian from non Christian, or from the saved from the lost. It's not just some outward formalism. No, no, no. No, it's a condition of the heart. This is where people get lost. This is where liberals get lost. This is where people who are radically conformed to the law as if it's the saving thing get lost. Because they become formalists They become tied to some system Or something Other than the grace of God Circumcision is the transformation of the heart That's what separates Jew from Gentile And as we talk today This is what we're talking about Even though it takes different forms So he says But if you are a violator of the law Your circumcision has turned into uncircumcision It's worthless It's nothing If you don't keep the law in your heart. Circumcision, which is a removal of the flesh, means nothing. Cutting the foreskin. Oh, now you're a Jew. If you're not also one who keeps the law. It is if you had never been circumcised. Verse 26, so if the uncircumcised man keeps the requirements of the law, that's an uncircumcised, a a Gentile, a non-Jew, will his uncircumcision, he hasn't been circumcised, no, the foreskin's still there, will it not be regarded as circumcision? Why? Because the heart is what matters, that's his point. He's not saying Gentiles can do that, he's saying if they did that, wouldn't they be like a circumcised person? Person, because it's not about cutting off foreskin, it's about a transformation of the heart. And the cutting off the foreskin is just supposed to be a sign or a symbol of what actually took place in a person's heart. God does not recognize the symbol of circumcision when the reality of a man's heart is not authentic. He doesn't recognize robes in Christendom. That make people into popes and cardinals and bishops and priests When their heart has not been changed All the system means nothing All the sacrodotal symbolism means nothing to God It infuriates God actually And so Paul goes on in verse 27 and says And he who is physically uncircumcised If he keeps the law Will he not judge you, who through having the letter of the law and circumcision are a violator of the law? So if he could do this thing, if a Gentile, a non-Jew, could do this thing, if a non-Christian could do this in today's culture, in today's time, the Gentile who keeps the law, if it were possible, could become a judge of a Jew. Or a Christian, who are given the law by God, Jew and Christian, but who sin by disobeying God's law. What Paul is doing here is he's defining the authentic Jew by explaining the difference between inward reality and outward form without inward reality. That's what Paul's doing. He's defining the authentic Jew. By explaining the difference between inward reality and outward form When outward form is without inward reality Be clear on this Verse 28 He states it For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly That's not a Jew Nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh It's not cutting off the foreskin It's an inward authenticity Authenticity is never outward through rituals and ceremonies Let's get that straight But must be in the heart It is the condition of the heart that distinguishes between Jew and Gentile Christian, non-Christian, saved, lost That's authenticity So let us move on and uh, show an Old Testament example Paul spells out the main point in verse 29. And we'll go on to the example. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is of the heart, by the spirit, and not by the letter. And his praise is not from people, but from God. So as we go through all these ordinances, as we go through the law, as we go through the form, as we go through the ceremonies in religion whether it be Judaism or Christianity or all the non-Christian religions, when you're going throughout religion, religion, it's just that. It's just going through the form. But there is no inward reality. A Jew or a Christian is not a person who is circumcised or baptized, but one whose heart has been changed to love God instead of hating Him. This is about love and hate. That's what Paul is after. Who loves God and who hates God? Well, he's going to show that all people are born hating God. And if you think your religion, your outward religion, is going to change that, forget it. It's not going to happen. Just stop right there. Just stop and listen to Paul here. Read, read Romans 2 and, and 3. God changes the heart and faith makes the unseen a reality. When God changes the heart, faith makes the unseen a reality. Father Abraham was the first sinner proclaimed righteous by God. That's right. Father Abraham, the father of Israel, by proclamation of God, made him the first Jew, was the first sinner proclaimed righteous by God. Genesis chapter 15 and we're going to be reading Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 through 6. Genesis 15, 1 through 6. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram, I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, Lord, God, what will you give me? Since I am childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Abram also said since you have given me no son one who has been born in my house is my heir. Now he's telling God what to do. <laughs> I mean this is this is a sinful man. This is a man who's been chosen to walk with God. And so he starts to walk with God. It's not a guy a man who really knows God. He's a man who's like walking after God. By God's grace. And he's starting to tell God what to do. He's saying, he's telling, well, you know, wait a minute, let's get this straight, God. You know, let, let's see, Abram, what he's doing here. Then, behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man will not be your heir. Now, let's get straight who, who God is here, Abram. But one who will come for from your own body shall be your heir. Like, you can only imagine what what Abram's thinking. Like, is this God talking to me? I mean, is this really, really what's going on here? I mean, how can these things be? Uh, I'm seeing a vision. Like, was this something I ate? What's going on? And and I'm being a little sarcastic, but but this is the situation going on here. He just got down telling God, I mean, what's going on? I don't have anybody in my house. How are you going to do this? And God says, this man will not be your heir, but one will come forth from your own body shall be your heir. It's almost like an argument going on. And he took them outside. Obviously, they're inside. He takes them outside. It's nighttime so they can see the stars. And said, now look toward heaven and count the stars. And this is not with smog or fog or any clouds. This is like a perfect sky And it's just like the stars are like the sand in the sea. Ever been out west? You ever seen that? It's like, oh my gosh, I didn't realize this is what the sky looked like. If you're like me and you're born in a city like New York. So he looked, count the stars if you're able to count them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. And here it comes, verse six. Then, here's the commentary. He believed in the Lord. He believed in the I am that I am, is the word. And he credited it to him as righteousness. Whoa, hold it, stop. This is an argument going on, and out of the argument comes a man who actually believed the Lord. This is really the first time saving faith was applied to Abraham, to Abram at the time. Abraham Abraham believed in the I am that I am And he, God, credited to him as righteousness He hasn't done anything here All he's doing is believing And Paul's going to go on in Romans chapter 4 To explain this and show that's exactly what happened Let's get this straight Let it be clear Verse 6 then he believed in the Lord and he credited to him as righteousness. This is a judicial act in the courtroom of God that performed Abram's righteousness. Put it on the books. That's exactly what it says in Romans chapter four. It's credited. It was, account- it was an accounting element to this. Where God took the book, he wrote name Adam's, uh, Abram's name in the book, this is one of mine. He's righteous. Abram understood the inheritance component of wealth in this. Get this. You know, that's why he's talking about there's no heir. How am I going to be wealthy? Where did wealth come from? He did understand. Man does not create wealth. It is a gift from God. God was opening his mind. He was opening his heart. He was opening his his life up so that he could apply saving faith. Just as a son is not created, he's given like a gift. So is this righteousness given. The heir would be given in a man who is beyond years, in a woman who was beyond years. A miracle was going to take place, just as as the birth of Christ was to a virgin. A miracle was going to take place. And Abram had to believe in the miracle of God. And so the Lord said, this man will be your heir. Abram heard and saw the promise of God in a vision. He understood and believed it to be saving his soul. And it did. And he was re- he was now more responsible to live a righteous life having believed. Did he? We're going to look at that in just a minute. The Lord to, spoke to Abram and Abram was not a perfect man. A sinner saved by grace, yes, but he wasn't a, a perfect man. I mean, he's going to give his wife away in Egypt out of fear. He's going to give in to his wife when his wife says, hey, there's nobody in our house I can't have a child. I mean, come on. and So go sleep with my wife. Go sleep with my slave girl. And so that's what he does. And sin just is multiplying in the house because faith, while it was saving, was not perfected and there was sin going on. And which is, goes on in the life of every believer until he starts to come to the, 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 the God-given truth that can transform a man's heart and mind, which is why you read through Romans and the rest of the New Testament to get to the place where you're being sanctified, strong, you're living by faith. And Abram did get to that place where he loved, lived by faith, even though the living part didn't save him first. But justification did, and then it was brought to fruition in his life. But make no mistake, which one comes first? Because it's the difference between heaven and hell. It's the difference between spending an eternity in blissful heaven, having given over salvation to God where it belongs, or working out your salvation in a way that makes you righteous. And these things are hard to discern between the two. Heaven will be filled with people who understood rightly that their salvation was a gift from God, and it was awarded to them in a day when they were not perfect or even close to it. They were sinners saved by grace. And hell will be filled with people who thought they earned their way to heaven, but called it saving faith, when in fact it wasn't. Now, I can't discern that for you who's listening to me. I can't discern it from from multitudes around the world who are making a vastly great decision which saves their soul and those who think they are who are condemning themselves to eternal hell. But I need you to understand what Paul is saying here. And Paul is making a huge distinction between the two. Now Abram went on and sinned in chapter 16 and following. However, he did turn by the grace of God into a person over time who who fulfilled, who brought forth fruit by the grace of God in his life. And we're going to read that in Genesis 17, 1 through 5, quoting. Now when Abram was 99 years old, Many years after that scene in chapter 15 The Lord appeared to Abram and said to him Quote, I am God Almighty El Shaddai, the strong one Walk before me and be blameless Now, we're going to look in this Following verses to see what that means I will make my covenant between me and you And I will multiply you exceedingly. Who's who's doing this? Who's making the covenant? And who's multiplying him exceedingly? Uh, That's God speaking. Actually, Abram will be doing the walking and he'll be blameless. But it's by the power of God. The covenant and the greatness is of God. Abram fell on his face and God talked with him in verse 3 saying, As for me, behold, My covenant is with you, and you will be a father of a multitude of nations. Make no mistake, God created all those people. They all came from his loins by the grace and power of God. All of this was of God, and Abram, he was the conduit through which it came. No longer shall you be named Abram. God's changing his name. But your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. Abram didn't make himself a father of a multitude of nations. Abraham didn't make himself the father of Israel and all those who would believe with saving faith. God did that. So let's get this straight. As Abram is becoming faithful, it's God who is doing it. God is bringing it to pass. No, shall, no longer shall you be named Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I made you the father of a multitude of nations. Now when you go on, as we continue, down in verse 20, down in chapter 22, we see how this just comes about. So while he's still in this condition, God's doing something. And by the time you get to 22, God has really done a lot. And we read this, quote, in verses 11 through 13. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven. You know the story. And said he went up to the mountain to do what God told him to do. What did he tell him to do? This is where the angel of the Lord says, Quote Abram, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. He said, Do not reach out your hand against a boy. And not do not do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son. Your only son from me. And Abraham raised his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering in the place of his son. The scene is dramatic. Angels, an angel of the Lord. Abraham and his son, and after, I'm sure, struggling with the idea of killing his son. He took him up, he took the wood, he made the fire, he put his son on the altar, he took the knife, and he was going to take his life, believing, according to Hebrews chapter 11, that God would raise him from the dead. It's a picture of death and resurrection. It's a picture of God offering his, his son to save men's souls. And what we need to picture, understand here is just how much God is involved. Because in all false religions, whether they be Judaism or Christianity, Men's focus, their attention of their heart and their soul in false religion is not upon God, even though they say it with their mouth. The inward reality is not there and their faith and their trust is in themselves. And that's what saved, that's what's dif- is differentiates between a saved person and one who's lost. A true Jew The one who's a Jew, not outwardly by the cutting off of the flesh, but one who's had a transformation of heart by the power of God. Justification takes place in the unseen courtroom of heaven. Sanctification takes place in the decision room of a man's heart. Where God works with men to do what accomplish his own will. For now I know that you fear God, the angel of the Lord said to Abraham, since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. God brought to pass through this man Abraham what he himself was going to accomplish through his own son Jesus Christ on the cross. Abraham's faith became authentic in the decision room of obedience at a very costly price so what does this mean to paul's ongoing argument about the jew we read it in chapter 3 verses 1 through 9 quote then what advantage has the jew or what is the value of circumcision much in every way to begin with the jews are entrusted with the oracles of god what if some were unfaithful does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. Let God be true and everyone was a, were a liar, as it is written, quote, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. What's he saying? When man failed the test, when they are just unrighteous men pretending to be something they're not that doesn't mean God doesn't save people that doesn't God, mean that God doesn't have those he's actually chosen and he's actually living in no God is true even if men are liars even if they pretend to be Jews or they pretend to be Christians or they b- pretend to be saved no doesn't it doesn't change anything only in a man's mind We need to be freed from that. That's what salvation is. And he goes on in verse 5 and says, But if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God is unrighteousness to inflict wrath on us? No. No, God's righteousness is righteous. He's just when he inflicts wrath. Because men can be deceived and they deceive themselves and they deceive others. God's not deceived. That's why he says I'm speaking in human terms. There's what God sees and there's what men see. There's what God knows and what men believe. By no means in verse 6. For then how could God judge the world? But God will judge the world. He's going to judge the world because he knows right from wrong. He knows the fake From the true, the authentic, from the false. Verse 7, but if through my lie, God's truth abounds to his glory. If I'm lying, if I'm not really a Jew, I'm not really a Christian. But if through my lie, God's truth abounds to his glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? It doesn't work that way. And why not do evil... That good may come, as some people slanderously charge us with saying. Paul never said that. Paul never said that. He never intimates it all through the book. You know, what shall we do? Sin that grace may abound? God forbid it. May it never be. That's the Christian's point of view. He doesn't take advantage, even though we, we're not perfect. But in heart, we don't want to take advantage of God's grace. Not when God's actually working a transformation in the heart. Their con- condemnation is just. What The unrighteous, the false pretenders, their condemnation is just. No one is righteous. No one is righteous by himself alone. You can't make it right. You can't manufacture holiness. What then? Are we Jews any better off? And he says, no, not at all. Pretenders are not better off. People who say they're keepers of the law, but inwardly they're not, because they're depending on circumcision or baptism. For we have already charged that all, both Jew and Greek, are under sin. What's the conclusion? Jews are not better than Gentiles, number one. Number two, Gentiles are not better than Jews, number two. Three, all, both Jew and Gentile, are under sin. Sinful before God and found guilty. Guilty by reason. They are able to reason, as in previous lessons. They are guilty by conscience. We have a conscience and we know right from law, right from wrong, even if we don't have the law. And we're guilty under the law if we've been given the law, which Jews and Gentiles have, and most people today. All men under heaven are guilty because of the condition of their heart whether they see and recognize it or not, God sees and at the judgment he will explain it so that all men will stand condemned if they are outside of his son, Jesus Christ. This is the gospel. This is the love of God and the judgment of God. And so we're going to conclude today as he concludes in chapter 3, verses 10 through 18. Quote. None is righteous. No, not one. How many? I mean, can we get clearer than this? If you think you're going to get to heaven because you think you're a Christian, read this and understand what he's saying here. Your your faith that you're manufacturing in your head Because you've been baptized or because you're going through certain rituals or certain ceremonies. If you're a Jew, if you're a Christian, if you're religious, part of some other religion. Get this. None is righteous. No, not one. I mean, you just don't get clearer than this. This is as clear as it gets. If you don't get this, you don't get it. You're not getting it. Stop. Ask God. Ask God. Lord, am I one of these people who's actually missing this? Am I really thinking myself into heaven and I'm going to stand before Jesus Christ one day he's going to look at me and he's going to say, I never knew you. When he prayed on his way to the garden and he looked up to heaven and he said, this is eternal life that they might know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is eternal life. It's knowing a person. Are you intimate with the person? Do you know the person in a saving knowledge? Not about, not some biblical thinking, some facts. No. You know, Jesus was 30 years old when he started his ministry. We're not talking about that. We're talking about knowing the person like you know a family member more intimately. Someone who's going to be transparent and show himself to you through his word. That kind of knowledge Not your own intellect working its way up to thinking yourself into heaven. That's not going to happen. No one understands. Not only is no one righteous, no one understands. This is where we start. No one seeks for God. So you don't understand. You think you do. No one seeks for God. Not really. Eh, Religion, maybe. Some outward way of feeling good about yourself. But not really seeking God, the one whom I'm just talking about knowing, all have turned aside. How many? How many? All. There's only one righteous man, Jesus Christ. That even includes his mother, okay? Only one. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Jesus was the only one born of a virgin born of God, who had a father in heaven. He was the eternal God, and he was made a man. Only one in the scripture that bears r- reference to that. It doesn't matter what traditions of men might say. It doesn't matter what extra v- visions might have been given outside the scripture. The scripture is complete. It doesn't need anything extra. It doesn't need a church. It doesn't need anything like that. The Bible says all have turned aside Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. There's only one God. There's only a Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's no other God beside those three who are one. There's no fourth person. Verse 13, their throat is an open grave. That's a picture for you. You know what an open grave smells like? It's a stench. They use their tongues to deceive. You want to look at your own heart? You want to see what's really in there? Here it is. It's an open grave. It's a whitewashed tomb. It's a tongue that deceives yourself. Get rid of it. Pray to God when I'm done speaking here. And beg God for forgiveness if you're not one who's in the kingdom. Stop deceiving yourself. The venom of asps, of snakes, is under their lips. I mean, it's a, a, a venom is something you get bit. It gets injected into your veins and into your body, and it works its way to your heart, and it kills you. This is what's under their lips, our lips. This is how we're born, destroying everything around us and ourselves. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Full of curses and bitterness. What do we curse? Everything and everybody. We think we're wonderful. We curse God. We're bitter against God. Why do people get so angry? Why do people go out with all the wealth that, like, you can't even comprehend, and they just do mean things to other people? And then you have people just full of goodness. And just bring religion to the masses. And in their bringing religion, they send them to hell. They make them twice the citizens of hell of them themselves, Jesus said. You know, they traverse sea and land to make a convert. And they make them twice the sons of hell as themselves. This is not good either. Moral, immoral people all have sinned. Verse 15, their feet are swift to shed blood. It's the history of the world. It's the history of war. I mean, this is what we do and we're quick to do it. And the moral and the immoral do it in different ways. And which one is worse? I don't know. The man who sheds another person's blood or a person who sends a person to hell. I think it's the person who sends one to hell. So don't excuse yourself because you're moral. In their path, and their paths are ruin and misery. Both physically and emotionally, mentally, spiritually, just devastating, because this is what we are when left to ourselves. Just let it run its course for 1,500 years, like in the days of Noah, 1,440 years, until God had to wipe the whole planet clean of people, billions of people, wiped clean, because it just got... Worse and worse And they lived so long and they, I can, We can't conceive of what they were like Because we live 70 years And look at what people become And the way of peace They have not known Peace and peace Men are proclaiming Peace and safety And it's going to get better yet to come But it's all a lie Because that's what's under men's lips Is the, the, the asps The venom of asps But they're going to be saying peace. They're going to be saying safety. And they're going to be saying, this is all good. This is all good. And people are going to be listening. Wow, this is great. Every New Year's, the world's going to be better. And the world's worse every year. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And that's the key. That's the key. That's why people can have the venom of aspen why they can have lying tongues, why they can be worthless, like they can have the stench of a grave, why there's ruin and mercy in their path while they're saying peace. Why? They don't fear God. I do what I want to do. Abram, where did we start with Abram today? No, you got it wrong. You don't get it. I don't have an heir. I can't produce these things. He's mixing up his ideas that God is beginning to open his mind. He's like the blind man who sees shadows and he doesn't see everything clearly. Clearly, And so instead of shutting his mouth, he's running his mouth. And it's coming out backwards and sideways and all wrong. And that's really a picture of an immature, born-again believer. <laughs> you know, it comes out all kinds of different ways You know, until you start to mature and you start to understand what you're talking about by the grace of God. We all begin like this worthless piece of clay that, that's deserving of the fire of destruction. Or there is the molding hand of God that turns it into a beautiful vessel meant for the king's use in the king's house. And then it's put through the fire and it's made hard and it's a beautiful pot. Painted and made beautiful. So where does that leave us today? It leaves us forgiven. Those who've received the grace of God and believe that salvation is not by their own works and that's by justification alone. And the sanctification that takes forth is the poor, is the is the produced by God, not men. There's no working together. There's only being a vessel through whom God works. And that's what happens in salvation. We're justified. We're made a vessel through whom God can work. And God produces the fruit. God produces the good works. He produces the faith. He imparts faith. It's all about God. Now, if you don't believe that, then it's very possible you're going to hell. And you'll experience that through an eternity. You won't be a vessel of honor for the master's use. You'll be a vessel fitted for destruction. And you'll, you'll experience that destruction forever and ever and ever. And it will never end. And when you've been there, like Jonathan Edwards said, for eons and eons. And it seems like a day and it's all past. You'll still have an eternity to face. I really hope. that if anyone's listening to this and they are one of those people that they would turn from their wicked ways, they would repent of sin, and they would trust in Jesus Christ alone for their salvation. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this lesson. We thank you for the word of God. I thank you for Paul, who you knocked down on the road to Damascus, and you appeared to him in a vision and said to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? when he was persecuting the church and he had Stephen stoned and put to death and you transformed Saul the Pharisee, the religious leader and you turned him into a work of art and one who was beaten and mistreated and persecuted and thrown in prison and eventually killed for the faith. Lord, that's your work, and you get the glory. You produce the, f- the fruit, and in the end, we'll give you all the praise and all the honor and all the glory in Jesus' name.